Θα ήθελα αυτή τη μνήμη να την πω, μα έτσι εσβήστη πια, σαν τίποτε δεν απομένει, γιατί μακριά στα πρώτα εφηβικά μου χρόνια κοίτε. Δέρμα σαν καμωμένο από Ιασεμή, εκείνη του Αυγούστου, Αύγουστος ήταν η βραδιά. Μόλις θυμούμε πια τα μάτια, ήταν θαρώ μαυιά. Α, ναι, μαυιά. Ένα σαπφύρινο μαβί. Μπαίδαν. Καμ κουντου αβαδου αν αβούχα βτελκα δικρα, γαίρα αν ναιδα λαιάμι καδ μαχτα, وكأنهُ لم يعد لها أثر في مخيلتي إذ هي بعيدة القصية. Lontano. Vorrei dire quella memoria, ma è così flebile, quasi nulla ne le rimane, perché è riposta lontano nei primi anni della mia adolescenza. Loin. Je voudrais dire ce souvenir, mais il s'est atteint maintenant. Presque rien n'en subsiste. I should like to relate this memory, but it is so faded now, scarcely anything is left, because it lies far off in the years of my early manhood. A skin as if made of jasmine, that night in August, was it August? That night, I can just barely remember the eyes. They were, I think, blue. Ah, yes, blue. The sapphire blue. يا أستاذ مصطفى؟ آه أهلاً وسهلاً أهلاً أهلاً زي صحة؟ أهلاً وسهلاً يا مرحبا أهلاً وسهلاً مش مش بطال؟ لا الحمد لله زي زيف لك نحسن شوية؟ لا 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 أحسن أوي كويس أوي 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 أهلاً أهلاً وسهلاً The Barber's Shop at the Cecil Hotel, Alexandria Spring 1996 In the city of Alexander the Great Eratosthenes the Earth Measurer Amara the Arab the poet C.P. Cavafy and the novelists Lawrence Durrell and E.M. Forster, writer and broadcaster John Theocaris sits down to his first Alexandrian haircut in 30 years. How many languages then do you speak? Four. Four languages? Yes. Ah, including Greek? Greek, yes. English? Yes. French? French. Italian. And Italian as yes. well? Yes. Ah. Bravo, bravissimo, eh? <laughs> You're like, like Figaro. Yeah. Figaro, the barber. <laughs> Okay. And round the corner there, there used to live a man who looked twice old. He was probably not um, older than uh, what, what I am now. And he was a bit of a philosopher. And uh, two or three of us used to go and visit him in the afternoon. And he would simply talk about life and about death and about love and about uh, philosophy. And we were fascinated just, just uh, listening to him. Hello, fellow visitors. Mr. George would welcome the three or four of us, aged 13 or 14, into his little front garden in Ibrahimeya. Come in, fellow visitors, come in. 
we would sense that he was already setting us a trap, and we were only too happy to fall into it. Why do you say fellow visitors, Mr. George? You are the host, surely? Mr. George, already back in his front room to fetch the longed-for bottles of Pepsi-Cola, would feign Socratic point scoring. Ah, but that's the whole point. There are no hosts in life, my friends. We're all visitors. We don't even know how long our visit is likely to last. So we can't treat society and life and nature as though we owned them, can we? And he would come out holding a tray with the ice-cold Pepsis. Okay, young John? And now, across a half-century, I can only echo, Okay, Mr. George. Ah, the Cornish hasn't changed. Alexandre is still there whenever you go to the Cornish, to the seaside. There you find Alexandria. The mythical and eternal Alexandria. It is always there. My wife is an Alexandrian, and she was raised in Alexandria. She said, you've made a complete Gerard de Nerval fantasy about Alexandria. It wasn't like this. It was a dirty little thing like Wigan. I mean, when Darrell described Alexandria, it was the Alexandria of the Ptolemies. It was Cleopatra's Alexandria, Alexander's Alexandria. Uh, so he mixed time and place together. I saw it rather like Cavafy saw it. Uh, you know, through its imperial days and its Hellenistic days. And after all, I had E.M. Forster for a guide, you see, and you can't read Forster's guides by Alexander without wanting to go there. If you go on the Corniche, there are old hotels that are not here anymore, like the Borivage. Yes, Borivage, I remember Borivage. Yes. Borivage was wonderful, wasn't it? Wonderful, of course. Ah, the, 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 the grounds, the gardens. The garden, the very old garden, which was very famous for the five o'clock tea. This is no more there. The Borivage is over. Still, we have imagination and memories. Yes, we have to. <laughs> we have to. We have to. <laughs> the first fountain pen. Thick, transparent stem, brown and orange spotted stripes, a parker. I slept with it under my pillow. The first grown-up looking blue blazer an anchor in relief on the golden buttons, and a special present, reward for good results, a bespoke camel coat with black velvet collar and a secret pocket. One evening, coming home after a weekend by the sea, I run up the stairs ahead of my parents, and as usual, I knocked on our apartment door, saying, Open the door, this is the chief of police. And the door simply gave way. The lock had been sawn off, the flats ransacked, the blue blazer gone, the camel coat gone, the fountain pen gone. This was called uh, Benjamin's, and it was the best place in town for and uh, the restaurants of Alexandria will supply you with everything from French to New York uh, and back again. And you mustn't forget wine was discovered there. It's the most thrilling sort of nexus, a joint, as it were. And out of that might have been projected a totally different Europe. The Alexandrian pattern of tolerance for all types of everything and slackness and sensuality was not a bad mix. The Brazilian coffee. Brazilian coffee. This is wonderful. 
let's let, let's cross because there's that a place like the Brazilian coffee of Sofianopolo at the end of Sadzeglul where you find the <laughs> where you find the Arnovo style. It's still there and you, you, you don't find it anywhere in the West. Not really. Oh the smell is still there. The aroma is still there. Shall we walk in? We have uh... McDonald's, we have Pizza Hut, <laughs> we have Baskin Robbins, <laughs> and but yes. we still have passed through this. Yes, we do. We both passed through this in 1971. Uh, my father was the accountant here, and he heard that Mrs. Pastrudis wanted to sell the place. Yeah. Since I took the place in 1971, I thought it, I will never change anything of because this is a very old place, and it's very valuable. And um, it's written about that place in books where you have in England. Darrell wrote about it in the Alexandrian Quartet. And this restaurant was very famous for the very high society in Alexandria. Kafafi, the Greek poet, used to come and sit here. And uh, the very also famous singer, Um Kalsoum, Nagib Mahfouz, who had the Nobel Prize, used to sit here until very recent. But now, because he's very old, he stopped to, to come. King Farouk, they say, used to come here. Very near the Pastrudis Patisserie and Restaurant is the Greco-Roman Museum, built in neoclassical style, with the words Museon in big Greek capitals. I used to go in, no entrance fee, and walk straight to the Room of the Mummies, I had discovered that the mummy of an Egyptian princess had a hole in the wrapping around the left big toe. Well, now, when the guard was not watching, which was most of the time, I would touch the toe of the noble lady ever so gently and simply enjoy the sensation of making contact with someone who had lived several centuries earlier. Only connecting, I suppose. I can still draw a caricature of him, Mr. Ftiaras, which means something like Mr. Shovel, principal of the Greek high school Averophion. He had had loudspeakers installed in the huge grounds that served two large schools with some 5,000 boys. First thing in the morning, and at every common break, Beethoven's Eighth, Chopin's Grand Polonaise, Ravel's Bolero, or Rimsikorsakov's Scheherazade was our regular soundscape. The principal, impeccably dressed, straight-backed, but leaning lightly on a decorative walking stick, would stand at the marble entrance as we walked past him, silently and in double file. If a head was unclean or a pair of shoes unacceptably dirty, he would slightly raise his stick and wave the offender to the side. But if the shoes were worn out, and he knew or surmised that it was due to poverty rather than negligence, 
The boy would be asked later to go across the road to the shoe workshops of the Caniscarion orphanage to be fitted with a new pair of shoes. Excellent shoes they were too. Ferial. It's still called Ferial. That's, that, that was a lovely cinema and um, as you can see it's still a cinema. We have an assistant headmaster who was very very strict but his Arabic was still very very poor and um, they discovered that, that every Thursday morning there were fewer people in each class than usual. And then they discovered that there was um, a cinema which on Thursday mornings would show sexy films. And one day this uh, assistant headmaster decided to go to the cinema himself and catch the, the, the pupils there red-handed, you know, as they are watching the film. <laughs> so, as I said, his Arabic was not very good, but he went to um, the cinema and he walked straight into the lobby and um, he opened the doors to get into the cinema. Uh -huh. But of course there were two or three Egyptian attendants there, yeah. and they tried to stop him, and they said, Yahawaga! <laughs> they said, what are, what are you doing? What are you? And, uh, and he said, um, he wanted to say, I'm, I'm, I'm here, you see, to, to, to catch the students, but he said, Ana yes. al <laughs> I'm here, I'm here for the boys. Outside the entrance of an old three-story house, above scribbled cards, Gabi, Lisette, and so on, a sober brass plate, Madame Rosa, second floor. Like Madame Sosostris, her poetic predecessor, Madame Rosa was a famous clairvoyant. Her window shutters let in the humidity of the summer evening and the song of Um Kalthun from a neighboring cafe. The scented air blended with Madame Rosa's lucky strike chain-smoking. Henna dyed frizzy hair over a powdered face. She would take a close look at you, and the vermilion lips would stretch to a teasing smile. Ah, neurotic, isn't that so? Neurotic. But I see an angular lower jaw, so you won't go completely crazy. I went to see her with a school friend a year or two older than me. She couldn't tell him much, she said, beyond the next year or two, but he was sure to travel abroad, no doubt about that. Two years later, he died in Switzerland from consumption, aged 21. She told me that I would spend most of my life abroad where my work would affect millions of people. Well, I suppose it was a rather optimistic assessment of Radio 3 and Radio 4 ratings. Can you sing like uh, Omu Kalthum? Yes. I'm talking to the ladies. Yeah, mademoiselle. Mr. Mustafa sings. Mr. Mustafa, well, Mr. Mustafa, you must sing.
I went down to the harbour to see Beniamino Gini arrive with the La Scala company. He made a brief statement to the press, saying that he was honoured to sing at the birthplace of the great tenor Lise Lapas. Well, the name of Lapas doesn't mean much now, but that Greek boy from a poor family in Alexandria had an exceptional voice, and by the end of the First World War, he was much in demand in Monte Carlo, Paris, New York, London, an impressive Cavaradossi, Don José, Radames, and particularly Cagno in Ipagliacci at the 1919 Covent Garden season. <laughs> After his farewell concert, I got to know him quite well and rather enjoyed walking with him down Rue Saad-Zerloul on our way to the Columbia Recording Company. Dressed still like an opera star of the 30s, silver-topped cane and all, he would stop suddenly to emphasize a point, oblivious to passers-by. At Columbia, he introduced himself to the manager, Ulisse Lapas, tenore. We walked into the Church of the Annunciation with its magnificent dome, stained glass windows, veined marble columns, the three chandeliers, the scores of murals and silver and gold icons. One of the largest churches in Orthodox Christendom, famous also for its choirs in the past. We walked in in the middle of Sunday Mass. The congregation, five women and two men, one priest, one cantor, who is also a priest. But the service was perfect, no shortcuts, and the church lovingly maintained, friendly and awe-inspiring, exactly as I remember it. Here, a fleck, a wisp of Alexandria lived. Good Friday. Both stories of the church packed Christ's body had been taken down from the cross. The poetry of the hymns, the tunes, the archdeacon's melodious voice went straight to the heart and the eyes would mist over. At 17, I was a kind of senior boy cantor in my black cassock. I went behind the iconostasis that screens the celebrants from the congregation to get a book of Byzantine music. Half a dozen priests in their ornate Holy Week vestments had formed a circle, and the archdeacon must have been telling them something really funny, for they all clawed the air with voiceless laughter. Lifting his robes, embroidered with crucifixes, he started to hop, to dance, to the helpless, noiseless hilarity of his audience. I stood transfixed, watching them. Suddenly his cue came up, 
and he started chanting his bit about the dead Christ, his voice as melodious and emotive as ever. Something cracked in the heart of the boy that I was. That was the last time I went to church in Alexandria, until the other day. called Rudivan. Yes. Rudivan. Sarah Duban. Sarah Duban? Mm. No, I don't know. Here is or was Rudivan, the officers of an influential literary magazine called Gramata Letters. It was run in the twenties by an enterprising visionary and his wife. They were among the first to appreciate Kavafi's originality. One night after ten o'clock there was a knock on their door. It was an excited Cavafi holding a piece of paper. Take it, Nico, take it. It's burning my fingers. Now, opening hours of Cavafi Museum. Four, Sharm el Street, Alexandria. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday today, 10 till 3 p.m. So they're okay. And next door, you have exactly the same thing in Greek. So, horario liturgias, museo Cavafio, dos Sarmexef, Tessera Alexandria. Often, on the way to high school, we would take a slight detour and cross a famous street in the vicinity of the old Greek hospital, the Billiard Palace, the small old cathedral of St. Saba, and a few brothels. It was called Rilepsius, but to many it was known as Ruclapsius. The address is now for Sarah Sarmexef. Here we are, just flying out to. The old man of Alexandria climbing up these uh, marble stairs, probably very slowly, probably thinking of some uh, uh, satrap or uh, Ptolemy or maybe a Roman praetor. Aristomenes, son of Menelaus, a sovereign from western Libya, was generally liked in Alexandria during the ten days he sojourned there. Like his name, his dress also decorously Greek. He gladly accepted honours, but he did not seek them. He was modest. He would buy Greek books, especially on history and philosophy. But above all, he was a man of few words. He must be profound in his thoughts, people said, and for such men it is natural not to talk much. He was neither profound in his thoughts nor anything else, just an ordinary, ridiculous man. He took a Greek name, dressed like the Greeks, learned more or less to behave like the Greeks, and his soul shuddered with fear lest he chanced to mar a rather favorable impression by speaking the Greek language with fearful barbarisms, and the Alexandrians would find him out, as is their habit, the horrible wretches. That is why he restricted himself to a few words, fearfully observing his cases and pronunciation, and he suffered not a little, having whole conversations piled up inside him. 
Ah, here we are. Amen. Good morning. And, uh, this room, how well I know it. Now this one and the one next door are rented as business offices. The whole house has become offices for agents and merchants and companies. Ah, this room, how familiar it is. Near the door over here was a sofa, and in front of it, a Turkish rug. Close by the shelf, with two yellow vases. On the right, no, opposite, a closet with a mirror. In the center of the table, where he used to write, and the three large wicker chairs. Beside the window was the bed, where we made love so many times. The poor objects must still be somewhere around. Beside the window was the bed. The afternoon sun reached it down to the middle. One afternoon at four o'clock we separated for a week only. Ah, that week lasted forever. Try this street. Not far from Kavafi's neighborhood, on our way to school, we would often bump into Monsieur René, 50ish, admitting to 30, of probably Levantine provenance, but passing for French, small, heavily made up, cheekily dressed. A flowing cravat, hat at half-cock, you might say. He walked gently swaying on his heightened heels, neatly avoiding discarded condoms on the pavements. We would say teasingly, Bonjour, Monsieur René, and he would reply with great courtesy, Bonjour, mes enfants, bonjour. Chotby? Chotby. The tram stops at Chotby. We get off, cross the road, and walk through the grand garden gate to the spacious forecourts of the Greek secondary schools. A gray-haired man, a batch of exam papers under arm, looks at us quizzically. He asks me my name. Ah, oh, he says, of course, I remember you. I went for physics, you went for classics. But I came to your house one day and borrowed a dictionary. I remember that very clearly. Do you remember if you ever returned it, I ask him. Sadly, I have no recollection of him or his name. Yet I'm glad to see him, and we chat like old friends. He looks grey and dejected. I never left Alexandria, he says. I should have done. Who would have thought, when we used to thrive here, that our lovely city would end up like this? When I'm pensioned off, I'll go to Greece to die. You must go to Greece to live, Aleko, I say. Oh, no, no. To die. To die. Ah, here's one of the many uh, aphorisms, and it says... Το να αγαπάς και να περιποιείσαι τα άνθη είναι ένδειξης πολιτισμού και ευγένειας της ψυχής, which means to love and to care for flowers um, is a sign of civilization and nobility of the soul. Yeah. 
An old Egyptian in a gelebeya and a kerchief uh, sits in a corner where two corridors cross, surely the freshest spot in the whole building on a hot day. Mohammed Abdul Megin turns out to be the young gardener whom I vaguely remember as I used to chat with him to practice my Arabic. We remind each other of the names of past principles. The irony is that the only continuity seems to have been provided by this 73-year-old Egyptian. I was told he can't work anymore, but he doesn't want to live. He haunts the school. He has become its conscience. <laughs> you see, he's 73 years old, and he's been working here for 60 years. And... Um, he says that uh, he has a vague idea of having seen me before, you know, half a century ago. Hmm. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> Adio. <laughs> Adio. <laughs> well, here am I enjoying a sybaritic life for a few minutes, I suppose. No care in the world, just for a few minutes. Life looks uh, positive, just for a few minutes. What a privilege it was to get an invitation to the atelier or one of the artists' clubs for a lecture by a visiting celebrity or the vernissage of an exhibition of paintings. On top of the stairs stood the Levantine lady who had organized it, elegantly dressed and made up between two men, one younger than the other. I kissed her hand and she made the introductions. Mon mari, she said, and of course I was enchanté and shook hands with the husband. And turning to the younger man, Et mon amant, she said with a smile, and I said enchanté to her lover as well. Just in case anyone thought we were not truly civilized in Alexandria. ففر مني وناء بدون أدنى السبب وقال لي حريتي لا تشترى بالذهب This is a little poem about, about a, a nightingale that was kept in a golden cage and when the owner left the door open for a moment, the nightingale flew away. And the owner said, why, why are you flying away? You've got everything here. You've got a golden cage, beautiful food and everything. And the nightingale said, Horiati, that is my freedom, la tushtara, you cannot buy the dahabi with gold. Certainly I can't remember this shop. It sells uh, live rabbits. Here they are, one, two, three, four, five. Five rabbits. They are free to go, but they don't go because they've got something to eat here. 
and they have made good friends with a number of um, pigeons. People are friendly and helpful and smiling and they accept what they call their fate. If this is their fate, they accept it. I mean, it doesn't mean that they're not ambitious, but they are not envious in a wicked way. I mean, Egyptians don't have this. Because as farmers, they are used to sort of working and waiting, and things will come by and by. That's one thing. And because the nature of Islam does not allow people to be envious of the others. And it's their fate. It is your fate. You'll get yours. You'll get yours. At one point, I mean, what is for you, you will have. But you have to work hard for it. The Greek bakery across from the big mosque was owned by two brothers, very sweet, likable people that Putinga cake was the best. But there were whisperings about their family shame and their terrible secret, which apparently everybody knew except me. Eventually, I learned that the son of one of them had been a student in Berlin at the outbreak of war. He had fallen in with the Nazis and used to broadcast regularly Goebbels' propaganda in Greek. The Alexandrians had everything, even the homegrown Lord Ho-Ho. Along with the great Egyptian papers like Al-Ahram, Akbar al-Yum, al-Muqatam, newspaper sellers would hawk the local foreign papers too in a loud sing-song. And in the critical days of the war, particularly when Rommel was expected to march his troops along the Corniche, second editions would be on sale in the latest developments. I met Suleiman, who's been selling newspapers in Alexandria all his life. He's now sans teeth, but like most Alexandrian Egyptians, stoical and smiling. I jogged his memory. Tashidromos! Tashidromos, Anatoly, Ephemerida. Tashidromos, Paratima! Oh, Paratima! Paratima, Ephemerida, Tashidromos. Drink. At about one o'clock in the morning, I go out of the Cecil alone but not lonely. A light breeze keeps the tall palm trees disheveled as usual. Mounting the seawall, I follow for a while the parabola of the Corniche, as I once used to do in an effort to sort out a young man's thoughts and feelings. Then I hail an Arabeya Khantur. The elderly horse looks as tired and good-natured as her driver. Min fadlak ya ustaz, mumkin takhudni li wast al-Madina. Ana auz arga'a li fanduk sesil ba'da sa'awanus. Taban, he says, Taban, ya ustaz, Taban, ya hawaja. Of course, sir, of course. He can't take me round the city for an hour or so. The city is half asleep, and the night swathes it as though it were a body long dead. The street lights are indistinguishable from the past. 
The ugly high-rise buildings melt in the dark, and some of the old, shiny, beautiful mansions of my formative years rise up again, handsome and faintly mysterious. The flags of many nations flutter on the balconies. A babel of languages murmuring puzzling words, business words about cotton and onion and fishing and herbs and watermelons, erotic words about sensations newly discovered and glorified in this city 23 centuries ago and at the turn of the century and still today. Straight on, a safe distance away from the mixed tribunals, the famous, the infamous quarter of the brothels, where the men of the Allied forces would seek comfort before facing death. We're heading towards Mansheya, the vast Muhammad Ali Square, with a great equestrian statue of the Albanian officer, who became viceroy of Egypt, created the modern Alexandria, and died insane almost 150 years ago. Come one time here, Mr. Anthony Eden, for barber shop. So you trimmed his moustache? Yeah. That, I suppose, was before Suez. Yeah. No, before. I'm going to with its huge marble terrace below the great clock, isn't here anymore, gutted in a fire a few years ago. Circumstances brought me to that terrace on the day Gamal Abdel Nasser made a speech to tens of thousands of people. The great demagogue was in full flight when a number of shots rang out, six or eight of them. One of them smashing a big electric globe just above where I stood, showering our group with shards of glass. Everybody ducked, including Nasser, who was partly protected by the marble balustrade. I can still hear the puzzled silence. Then, Abdel Nasser suddenly rose and started to shout in front of the throng of microphones. Pointing towards the direction of the shots, he shouted something like, to achieve your ends, it is not enough to kill this Gamal Abdel Nasser, you must first kill 20 million Gamal Abdel Nasser's. But the speech was cut short, and soon Nasser left the square, squatting in an open jeep with the bodies of some of his soldiers lying across him. Late afternoon, getting cooler. I would be sitting on my chair on the balcony, usually with my lovely cat Riri, a very understanding friend, at my feet. A book on my knees, Alone, but not lonely. I wasn't really in Alexandria. I was in Paris, with Jean Valjean and Cosette and the romantic revolutionary student Enzo Lora. I was a prisoner with Aronax and the great harpooner Ned Land in Nautilus, 20,000 leagues under the sea, or lost in London or Edinburgh or Brobdingnag. 
The street seller of hibiscus tea would shout his merchandise and clank two metal saucers. Swarms of noisy sparrows would suddenly make me lift my eyes from my book. Every afternoon they were on their way to the Anglican Church of St. Mark's. I don't know why. During Ramadan or Bayram, a cannon shot would be greeted with joyous cries from the faithful who would then break their fast. The muezzin's voice would rise in the dusk and the lamplighter would begin his rounds. Half past twelve. The time has passed quickly since nine o'clock when I lit the lamp and sat down here. I sat without reading and without speaking. With whom could I speak? All alone in this house. Since nine o'clock when I lit the lamp, the vision of my youthful body has appeared and found me and reminded me of closed, heavily scented rooms and pleasure long past. What audacious pleasure. And it also brought before my eyes streets that have now become unrecognizable, centers full of movement that are ended, and theaters and cafes that once used to be. The vision of my youthful body appeared and brought me also the sad memories family mornings, separations, feelings of my dear ones, feelings of the dead so little esteemed. Half past twelve, how the time has passed. Half past twelve, how the years have passed. <laughs> 